Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. So, so good to see you guys. And if it's your first time, welcome. Um, And if you've been on this journey with me for the last um, three sessions, then it's so good that you've come back. Um, So today we're going to be looking at single sexuality, sexuality in friendships and sexuality in dating. So before I do anything, I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you so much because you are such a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant God. You're so brilliant. It's amazing. Like the way that you've wired us with such freedom, such beauty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that we're on this incredible journey with you and you just keep unveiling more and more and more of your beautiful handiwork in us. And it's such a delight to see more of you in us. So we just welcome your freedom here today. And we just thank you, God, that you're going to do beautiful, beautiful things and you are going to be glorified and we're going to make space to radiate more and more and more of you through the way that you've made us. So we love you and we welcome you in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Um, So my name is Bobby, in case you don't know, and this is the fourth session. Um, If you want to catch up and listen to some previous sessions, then you can just go to our church website, which is commonwealthchurch.com forward slash podcast. So please definitely do catch up. Um, What normally happens in these sessions, I try and avoid um, saying anything that I've kind of said before, unless I really feel God on it, because I only literally have a couple of hours. And obviously I speak for about, you know, most of them. And <laughs> days. Um, and so, but even then, there's like still so much to say, like so much, so much. So I don't want to repeat stuff that I've already said. So if you feel that I might have missed stuff out in today's session, I probably have, or I probably might miss it or I might forget, but actually it might be on a previous session. Um, so I'm just saying what I feel God's um, anointing really is on today. So I felt that today's session is actually really important because what tends to happen, I think, is once we get um, saved or once we get that revelation that actually sex is for marriage, once we realize that, a lot of us are just like, wow, okay, well, we don't want to enter into any sexual activity. We, wanna, we don't want to do anything in that area and we yield it before God and we actually wait for marriage to have sex. But what often I think happens is that although we now understand what God's plan is for sex, we as Christians don't always get a revelation of what God's plan is for sexuality and that overall area of sexuality, because sexuality isn't just about sex. You know, there's so much more to our sexuality. And more than anything today, I want us to tap into the fact that as a man or as a woman, 
we reflect different aspects of God. And that is actually very much part of us as sexual beings. Like you're not just a sexual being because you have sex. You're a sexual being because God created us as sexual beings. And as men and as women, we've been made in God's image. And so when we walk in the fullness of our masculinity and the fullness of our femininity with confidence, we actually radiate God. And so we come into the kingdom and if we don't understand that actually our sexuality isn't a bad thing, whether we're having sex or not, our sexuality should actually be celebrated. And so today is about how do we walk in holiness? How do we walk in utmost honor and dignity while still celebrating our sexuality as individuals and actually in those around us as well? So, the first scripture that I'm going to refer to is Genesis 1.27. So, please go there if you have a Bible. So, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, when God created male and female, he created us in his image, the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So, as a male, as a female, we're actually reflecting different attributes of this triune God. We're reflecting the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit or the strength of the Father, the courage of the Son. And this is not to be shied away from. This is something to actually be celebrated in one another. What often actually happens is these differences, the way God has created men and women, different on purpose, feminine, masculine, different, but complementary. They're not meant to be something that actually causes a rift between us two or, you know, causes a misunderstanding or a barrier between the sexes. That should actually be something that's complementary because as a total, men and women together reflect the fullness of God. And if we don't tap into that and if we don't, as, if we don't become one in the way that we represent God, then we're actually not revealing the fullness of God to the world around us us and we're not enjoying the fullness of God until we fully truly learn how to enjoy our masculinity or our femininity we are not enjoying the fullness of the way that God has actually created us it's by God's design that women are made so stunningly beautiful and I'm not saying oh everyone needs to look like a supermodel but women are gorgeous like God definitely knew what he was doing when he created the female physique it is stunning this is why obviously you know men do battle with lust because this is a beautiful thing that God has created but for a holy man and for a man that is not carnal he's able to steward that he's able to appreciate and cherish and respect and admire the way his sister the way that a woman has been created for the carnal man he looks at the beauty of the woman through his flesh but a a spiritual man looks at the beauty of a woman through his spiritual eyes through the eyes of a son through the eyes of God 
And it's by God's design that God has made men to be manly and to be strong and to be the leaders, you know, and to have this physical strength. It's by God's design. So we have women that need to be protected. We were created with a desire to be protected. We are feminine. We are womanly. We are tender. We are sensitive. And although we are strong and although we are courageous, we have been created to be vulnerable. We have been created to need protection and to have a man protect for protect us whether that's a brother whether that's a husband whether that's a father similarly for a man a man needs to be respected a man wants to be valued this is what men have been created with a a desire and a need to feel significant And all these differences are wonderful things that we should actually be celebrating in one another. But what the enemy will do, he will take these very godly attributes and actually violate them. So the femininity of a woman, the beauty, the curves, the grace, the poise, you know, the vulnerability, the enemy will exploit that. And instead of her body being cherished, instead of her body being celebrated, it gets exploited. It gets used as a tool. And the enemy has used that that devaluing, that disorder for a woman's body. He's used it to actually destroy generation upon generation, to destroy family, to destroy manhood, to destroy, you know, a woman's worth. That's what the enemy has done. Similarly, with men, he has taken that manhood, taken that strength, taken that leadership and actually violated it. So men don't behave as leaders. You know, they abandon their post. These I'm talking about, you know, this issue of fatherlessness that the enemy has really caused in this generation and the generation before to bring so much destruction. So that godly, you know, position and posture that men are actually meant to walk in, the enemy has then violated and twisted it. So men are using their power to intimidate to force, to, you know, um, lord it over women or over those in their stewardship. Again, this is a violation. And so what God meant for good, when God looked at Adam and Eve in the garden, everything that he had created before them, he said it was good. When he made Adam and Eve, he said it was very good. He saw them in their nakedness. He saw them as a man, as a woman, created as a beautiful representation of this triune God. And he said, it is very good. So this is God's handiwork. And we actually have to come in the opposite spirit as what the enemy has done. And we actually need to come and begin to celebrate one another. We need to go back to the Garden of Eden when sexuality had no shame. When Adam and Eve were able to stand together as brother and sister in the Lord. This is before they consummated their marriage. Because they only had sex once They left the garden. That's what the Bible tells us, that Adam knew Eve once they left the garden. So when they were in the garden, they had the opportunity to enjoy a friendship and a brother and sister relationship with one another when they were both naked in the fullness of their sexuality without any shame, with total innocence, with absolute purity of heart with one another. There was no lust. There was no misunderstanding. There was no resentment. There was no faction. It was sheer celebration of one another. And I 
believe that we have an opportunity as men and women of God, as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters in the Lord to go back to the Garden of Eden. And I'm not saying get naked before one another. Obviously not. That would be silly. But what I am saying is let's be transparent about our sexuality with one another because we're facing the same struggles. You know, we all have the same questions. We're all men and women that grow up and really need to learn how to steward this wonderful part of our femininity or our masculinity. Let's actually be real with one another. Let's go to that place in the garden when Adam and Eve were able to look at each other, not through the eyes of sexuality, not through the eyes of lust, but actually through the eyes of purity and through the eyes of such celebration for one another. What tends to happen with the enemy, like this whole exploitation, especially when it comes to women, in the West, because a woman's form is so exposed, so Like I said, carnal men find it difficult then, and not just carnal men, some spiritual men that are battling through that stuff, find it difficult to be able to celebrate a woman because they can't, you know, the overexposure of the woman's body in the West, in the advertising, in the music, in the fashion, in all of that, creates such a hypersensitivity to a woman's body. So it becomes about her physique. Similarly, outside of the um, West, you have a lot of, uh, you know, forced religion where the woman is hidden and her female form is repressed. And out of a place of shame or out of a place of possession, she is hidden away from sight. And that, again, also creates a hypersensitivity to the woman's form. So when men then look at women, instead of being able to celebrate their, their femininity, they just see what's underneath. It happens in the church Because we are not talking about sex in the church. And we're not dealing with the issue of sexuality in the church. So when sexuality gets repressed, again, there's a hypersensitivity to the female or the male form when instead of brothers and sisters like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden interacting with complete honour and love towards one another, what actually ends up happening is there's this undercurrent, you know, of this sensitivity and this, you know, like, oh, what's under there or fascination. You simply just can't have true, authentic, honouring relationships. Now, that's not, I'm not saying that's the case for everybody, But what I'm saying is as a body, we need to come up higher where we don't see that in one another. And we actually see beyond that to be able to celebrate one another in holiness, in purity, without any lustful thoughts, without any hostility. I should be able to celebrate the masculinity of my brother in the Lord. And... My brother should be able to look at me and celebrate my beauty or my femininity. And not because he has lust in his heart, but because he is actually in awe of God's creation. And because he's looking at me through the eyes of God. And actually, the way that men have been wired, they've been wired to appreciate beauty. 
Like God created men to have an appreciation and an, ad, and an admiration for beauty. And I truly believe that this generation can walk in the fullness of that, where a man is able to, in complete holiness and complete respect and honor, be able to admire the beauty that his sister walks in and she doesn't think there's sin in the camp. You know, she doesn't think, oh, steady on, where she's actually able to receive it with fullness. And I know that because that happens to me. Like, I've got brothers in the kingdom that when they pay me a compliment, I know that they mean it from the purest heart ever. And I know that they are honoring me and I know that there's not even a shred of lust in what they are saying. They are actually walking in what God called for us to walk in as brothers and sisters. But that comes with stewardship. That still means that a woman needs to walk in dignity, that a woman actually needs to, um, you know, walk in, in an honor and a respect for herself. That doesn't mean that as women we dress, you know, inappropriately or provocatively or we abuse the fact that, you know, men actually have been created to admire beauty. We don't misuse that. We don't use that to manipulate. We don't use that to control in any way or to get, you know, um, uh, I guess the wrong kind of attention. So we have to be sure as women that the body that God's given us and the femininity and the grace and just the beautiful way in which God has created that we don't actually misuse that and cause a brother to stumble. And we have that responsibility. You know, I know that I, I could wear something that I could be covered head to toe and it may not be provocative and it may not be something that anyone outside church would bat an eyelid at but in church there could be people that are battling you know there could be people that are actually really struggling with something I don't want to be someone who adds to that struggle I want to be someone that you know, helps my brother walk in utmost purity. So the way I carry myself, my modesty is actually treasure and I don't want to mishandle it. So I believe that, you know, we have this opportunity to actually really walk in the fullness of our masculinity and femininity and actually celebrate it in one another without any shame whatsoever. And something I do just want to say about the Garden of Eden is that they only put, you know, they only covered themselves once sin came in. Before that, they had no issues with their sexuality whatsoever. They had no issues about being naked because they were perfect. They were perfect. When sin entered in, that's when shame came in and they wanted to cover their sexuality. But we've been made perfect in Christ. There's no reason why we can't go back to that place. And I think it's such an incredible opportunity because the word doesn't say much about it. Like the word literally just mentions Genesis 1 and 2, and obviously 3 is where the fall happens. So who knows what happened in Genesis 1 and 2? But we as a generation, we can tap into that. We can actually tap into that purity of sexuality where we truly... Um, you know, celebrate that in one another. But as I was saying about the women dressing modestly, 
For the men, the men have a responsibility too. It's not just for the women. The men have to make sure they're, they're, you know, getting deliverance for any issues of lust that they may be battling with. And I do want to say at this point that it's not just men that battle with lust. You know, it's women that battle with lust as well. It's not just men. So we can never just rule out that this is a man's problem. This is a issue that actually the enemy has used to still kill and destroy and we have to make sure that together in unity that we're actually coming against it and we're creating a new culture we're actually going back to what God said in the word in Genesis 1 and so for men you have to make a covenant with your eyes you have to make sure when you're looking at a sister you're not looking at her as an object you're not looking at her you know you're not tapping into that hypersensuality or that hypersensitivity to her sensuality you are actually choosing to see her through the eyes of love i believe that when we do this with one another where we celebrate one another and we uplift and edify one another in their masculinity and femininity i believe that that actually gives us a positive perception and positive understanding of our own sexuality i'm convinced but the flip side of that is when we starve each other of that type of affirmation and we starve each other of that type of celebration that's when insecurities come in that's when misunderstanding about our sexuality comes in that's when we lack confidence that's when we don't understand the opposite sex and i think Fathers are crucial in this. You know, I've, I've talked about this before, that we need fathers to role model what it looks like to be a man, what it actually looks like to be a man of honour. A girl should be able to grow up with a father affirming her and saying to her, you are beautiful. Actually saying to her that your femininity is beautiful and raising her up to be proud of her femininity in such a, a honoring way, in such a pure way. Without that, what ends up happening is we actually end up growing up without um, a confidence when it comes to our sexuality. And we end up looking for love in all the wrong places. Like, I know that because that's exactly what happened to me. And when I was growing up, my... Um, my dad, like I'm from an Asian background and I'm sure it's the same with other cultures as well. The fathers, their love language is providing, you know, they're not, they don't affirm you. They don't cuddle you, no physical touch, but they provide for you. That's their way. But then we get starved of affirmation. We get starved of affection. We get starved of, of that, that um, celebration. And so then we grow up looking for that type of affirmation with first person. And I know that because I did that. And similarly, I think along with fathers role modeling to children, men and women, boys and girls, role modeling, what it, what it actually means to celebrate femininity and masculinity, along with fathers doing it, I think brothers have a role in it as well. I think the fathers are those that bring the foundation, but brothers have to do that. When that doesn't happen, when we're growing up and we don't have brothers around that affirm us and tell us we're beautiful and actually rejoice in our femininity, again, we get starved of the right type of affirmation. And again, that's exactly what happened to me. Because my brothers, occasionally they would make me realize, yes, they love me. 
but they never protected me. You know, I was always vulnerable before them. They never affirmed me. I can count on one hand how many times my brothers or my dad has ever said anything truly, you know, edifying to me. And I'm actually still, I guess, dealing with the results of that. And I think they're so deep when your father or your brother or a lack of in your life, I believe a woman, unless those things get dealt with and those wounds get uprooted, I think it can just right in the root of her believe it can bring insecurities and like just a lack of confidence and a brokenness that that can you know follow her for all of her days unless it gets dealt with. and this is why I believe brothers in the kingdom are so crucial because brothers in the kingdom are almost there to restore those of us in the world and even in the church who haven't had brothers to speak life and beauty and celebration over them we need our brothers and the brothers need the sisters you know the brothers need to be affirmed they need to be told that you truly are a man of God and I recently had like the honor of being like in a small group where um we were just talking about relationships and actually talking about dating and talking about sexuality and that kind of environment doesn't happen often like and that's what we're being starved of as brothers and sisters in the kingdom there is such a lack of holy honoring true raw honest interaction with the opposite sex where we're actually talking about sexuality and honoring one another and uplifting one another and if that doesn't happen as you're growing up your father's not doing that and your brother's not doing that or your sister's not doing that then you come to an adult you know in your life and you realize that actually I've got my sexuality all wrong because in the kingdom there's just not enough people interacting with each other and talking about it and so when I was in this group we were talking about you know I, I was pretty much just listening quite a lot and they were talking about their their desire to find a wife and um and so the guys were just talking about their struggles and my heart was actually hurting like my heart Like it was exploding out of my heart. I felt nothing but love for these young men. And for the first time, I was, able to, I was able to actually understand what it's like for a man to be in this point where they want a wife. They actually want to settle down. You know, they haven't got the, the courage to approach anyone in church. And so I asked one of the guys, like, so, you know, how do you, how do you approach someone? And he said he doesn't. And like my heart broke because when we see someone on the outside, we think that, oh, you know, they're nice looking, like, you know, they must have a girlfriend. What we don't realize is they not only do they not have a girlfriend or they don't have a, a wife, they don't have courage and they don't have confidence in their manhood. And that's what sisters should be speaking over our brothers, that you are a man of God. You are a leader. You are a man of courage. You are a pursuer. You are more than able you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you you will be a good husband for somebody we should be speaking that over to our brothers and I know plenty of girls in the kingdom who are beautiful who have a a, a great relationship with Jesus but they are insecure when it comes to the opposite sex and even though they've got a good relationship with their father 
an actual good earthly and spiritual relationship with their father where they've been edified and they've been uplifted as they're growing up. But because they're starved of true interaction in a community, I'm not talking about one-to-one. I'm not talking about you and the opposite sex hanging out one-to-one and talking about sexuality. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about community. We have to, in the kingdom, build more community where men and women are in a safe, holy environment within boundaries. Talking about sexuality, because these friends that I'm talking about, a man has never told them that they are beautiful. A man has never in a safe environment said, you are blessed, my sister. When I see you, I see treasure. When I see you, I see such a, a, um, such a woman to be cherished. Everything about you is beautiful. We are not doing that for one another. And I know some people might be, oh, well, you know, you don't just want to get a big head. You don't want people to just feed into, you know, your like ego. Oh, yeah, you're beautiful. I'm not saying that. I'm actually saying let's feed into one another's soul. Let's feed into one another's spirit. Let's speak the words of God into one another. And let's actually call out the masculinity in men. Let's call out the femininity in women, in community environments. This is crucial. And this is not something that you can do without boundaries. You know, this is not, I can't walk in the fullness of my femininity without boundaries. We need boundaries. It's exactly the same as when you get to know Jesus. Like if you sometimes become a Christian and, you know, someone introduces you, uh, introduces you to Jesus as your friend, I think that can pose a problem. Because, you know, Jesus just becomes, you know, like your high five, you know, yeah, Jesus, I sinned today, oh, silly me, you know. Whereas if you're introduced to Jesus as your Lord, as your saviour, then there's a respect and an honour and a reverence there that actually makes way for friendship. But And it's the same in intersexual relationships that you must understand that the, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord and, it, and we, we interact with each other in holiness and with respect and honour for one another because if we don't know that and then we do community together then there can be confusion you know there can be the wrong messages there can be a lot of physical touch and that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is in a community environment let's in a holy setting really speak into one another's masculinity and femininity which will have an incredible impact on the way that we see our own sexuality and the way that we see the sexuality of the opposite sex I also um, think that when we do this, firstly, if you are dealing with any sexual sin or you're dealing with issues of lust or you're dealing with, um, you know, confusion about the opposite sex, you will not be able to have honouring relationships with the opposite sex. You will not be able to cultivate true, honest, raw, holy relationships. And you must get that dealt with first. You know, what God has in store for us, it must be built on a foundation of purity. It cannot be built on a foundation of impurity. So if there's stuff that you are battling with, if there's addictions, if there's lust, all of these things, get them prayed for even today after the session. Because actually what God has in store for us isn't just spouses, husbands and wives, but it's rich, rich 
community friendships that actually help us to discover who we are as men, who we are as women in the fullness of our identity in God. I think that this type of interaction between men men and women actually prepares you for marriage because obviously if you don't talk about sex, you don't even try not to even think about it, if you um, are repressed in this area and then you get married, I really don't know how great your sex life in marriage is going to be. It's going to be like a bit awkward. You know, you might have issues with, um, you know, being frigid, like on a level, like seriously, if your sexuality is repressed and you are not really allowed to talk about it, or you've got issues of lust because you're not interacting with the opposite sex. So you end up reverting to dealing with your um, sexual drive in um, illicit ways. Then when you actually get married, there's so much baggage there that you have to deal with. But in actual fact, if we were doing community together and we were interacting with the opposite sex with holiness, it would demystify some of the taboos and some of the, you know, oh, I don't even actually understand women or I don't even understand men. It would actually demystify so much of that stuff because you would actually get to know the opposite sex in a holy environment. And I also believe that if this was more common in the kingdom, there would be less pornography and there would be less masturbation. That's what would happen because pornography and masturbation a lot of the time is, is pent up sexual urges because you don't know how to release them, you know, because men are all the way over there. Women are all the way over there. And so you spend half the time fantasizing about what they could be like. But actually, when you're in a friendship with them in a group setting, you get to discover what they're like without without it creating pent up, you know, kind of sexual angst in you. And yes, a sex drive is God given. But God also gives us grace and guidelines to be able to deal with that sex drive, to be able to lay it at the altar, to be able to steward it with holiness. But in partnership with that, God also wants us to do community together so that this taboo gets, you know, out of the way. And I think when it comes to pornography, a lot of people actually settle for a virtual relationship because they got no idea to how to have a relationship or a friendship with the opposite sex. So... As, as human beings, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, our actually relational capacity is getting stunted and we become less able and, um, you know, uh, a less kind of, I guess, not willing, but it's just more, it's easier just to get online. You know, it's easier just to masturbate than actually that awkward, you know, oh, I actually don't even know what to do around this girl. Like, I mean, uh, do I say hello? Do I, you know, like, and I'm not saying it's, it's extreme, but even ask yourself as a man or a woman, you know, what, how comfortable are you hanging out with the opposite sex and talking about these real issues? Because the issue of sexuality needs to be discussed. It's a very, very real struggle. And when it's not being discussed in the church, people have to find the answers somewhere, you know. And if if the church isn't talking about it, we leave people no choice but to go to the world to find the answers or 
not to ask any questions and to try and, you know, like work your way through it and actually end up making loads of mistakes. Because when we enter into marriages, if these types of community relationships where we are being real, we are being raw about our sexuality, um, if this, if this was more common, then you would actually go into your marriage with a greater understanding of the opposite sex and actually a confidence in your sexuality. You wouldn't go into your marriage with, um, you know, a complete lack of understanding about your spouse. And if you think about it, I've not been married, but married people like consider how long did it actually take you to try and work out how your wife or husband actually ticks you know like I think when we have relationships before marriage that are holy and honoring with the opposite sex we're actually doing mixed ministry and we're getting to know one another then it actually sets us up to have marital relationships that are a lot more understanding. And it actually helps marriages to prosper, I think, if we are engaging with the opposite sex in a holy environment. And this is crucial for young people, you know, because in school, if we're not talking about in church, and I know I've talked about this before, but if this is not being discussed in church or in homes, it's certainly being discussed in school. You know, it's like kids are getting, you know, images given to them. They are getting links for pornographic sites. They are being exposed to language and um, messaging of sexual nature. And if they don't know how to respond to it, they're going to fight. They're going to answer their curiosity because we're all sexual beings and we have a sex drive. And so we're curious about sexuality. Of course we are because we've been wired that way. And so young children are curious about it. But what we want to do is when they are little and I don't mean like three or four or whatever but you can start sowing seeds into them at that age you know showing them how to honor their sister showing them how to honor their brother and showing them you know that your woman and your your um your sister is a girl, but she's going to become a woman one day. And the way that God has created her body is actually beautiful. It's not to be dishonored. It's not to be violated in any way. And you, son, you are her protector and you are defender. And you have been created with that mantle to defend, to protect. And so you will be a protector of women. And then you tell your little children, like your boys, um, sorry, your girls, you are someone that cherishes your beauty. You are someone that doesn't, you know, hide it or flaunt it. You are someone that doesn't need the attention that someone may try and give you because of your body. We build our young ones up with this affirmation. And so when the world shows them an image, when the world shows a seven-year-old an image, a pornographic image, he comes in the opposite spirit and he says, no, like, I'm not receiving that because that's not how I see women. That's not how I see girls. This girl is an image bearer of Christ. I don't want to look at at her body. So we have to actually be building our young ones up with that type of opposite spirit. Mentorship, you know, that has to happen in the church. Married couples should be mentoring singles in this area. Again, we need to talk about sex and in a way where people 
actually understand why waiting for sex in marriage is such a beautiful thing. And married couples, I believe, have got a wonderful position to be able to do that, to be able to take singles under their wing and actually say, look, let's, let's show you what it's like to be married and actually to save sex for marriage and what it's like to, you know, actually walk in your sexuality with holiness. I believe married couples can definitely um, do that. And even being honest and saying, you know, the sex isn't maybe going to be great when you first get married. You know, we as Christians, we need to hear that because I don't want to be someone who says, oh yeah, as soon as you do sex God's way, you know, it's going to be fantastic. But there's a grace to actually be able to work through that stuff because it's not just about it being a physical thing. It's about the bigger picture. You know, it's about yada intimacy. It's about covenant intimacy. We need to be pouring that into the singles so that they actually understand why they shouldn't engage in sex before marriage. So mentorship and community environments, environments to be able to talk about it. Um, really, really are important. I also um, think that these types of um, relationships, these friendships, these community um, settings, I guess, are a great way to start relationships as well. Like, I think the best way for someone to actually get to know someone in the kingdom is a friendship. And I think that, you know, when you're building community and when you're actually honest and real with one another, and it's not about the looks, although looks are important, please don't, you know, I'm not saying that it's looks aren't important, looks are important. And, you know, I remember sometimes I'd pray to the Lord. There was a part of me that would fear that, you know, when God brings me a husband, he's just going to be really, really just not nice looking, you know, and I'd just be like, part of me were like, but you know, Lord, whatever you want for me, it's fine. It's fine. But Lord, please, you know, I don't. And sometimes say I got approached by someone who really just wasn't my taste and I knew they were interested in me. I'd go through this whole battle and just be like, oh my gosh, what if it's him? What if it's him? What if it's him? Please, Lord, don't let it be him. Please don't let it be him. Don't let it be him. It could be him. It could be him, but I don't want it to be him. But then God would be like, Bobby, relax. You know, I got you. Like, I'm not going to give you someone that you're not attracted to, you know? So I'm not saying looks aren't important. And in most cases, God does give you someone that you're attracted to. But the beautiful thing about friendships is that it's not just about looks. And it's an opportunity for you to actually really get to know someone's spirit and someone's heart and see them doing ministry. And so you kind of, the looks become something that's secondary and you get to know their heart. So I think that this is a wonderful, wonderful setting to actually be able to get to know um, someone. And I actually think that this is one of the reasons that people aren't getting together. Like even like in our church, CCF, just for the recording, Commonwealth Church, um, like we're, we're amazing. Like there's so many amazing people in our church, but you can count on one hand how many people get together. You know, like how many people actually end up getting together. I personally think that's because we're not doing community enough, you know, like, because if we were doing community enough, then you wouldn't reject someone based on the fact that, oh, he's not my type or she's not my type. You would actually get to know somebody in a group setting. Part of the issue of why men and women necessarily aren't getting together in the kingdom is because we're not doing enough friendship, true, authentic friendship with holy boundaries. And so when that happens, then 
you're forced to kind of date. You know, if you if you really want to be with someone and you don't have those community friendships around, then you end up dating. And for me personally, I I, I don't date. Like the last time I had a date, I, I think Saddam Hussein was still alive. Like it was. <laughs> Like, seriously? You know, I don't even know when that was, but he was still alive, I remember. But that's, like, I I don't even mind. Like, that's absolutely, like, my choice. Um, and I love my singleness. Like, I love it, love it, love it so much. And I, I actually think that being single is such a wonderful time to to walk in the fullness of your femininity, to get to know Jesus, to serve, you know, to actually just explore who you are. Like I love, love, love my singleness. And so for me, dating would have to be a massive, massive step that, you know, I'd really have to think about. And I wouldn't really date, I would court. So I wouldn't even step into the dating arena because I think it can cause kind of uh, it can just it can be dangerous ground I would much rather just know that that's the person who I'm gonna marry and then I would enter into a courting I mean I'm saying this Lord but who knows what's gonna happen but that would be my desire to step into courting but this is why friendships are so crucial because when you have a friendship with someone and if something then develops you don't need to date them because you already know what they're like so again I feel that God you know gives us these um, kind of I guess like he gives us his heart for community because actually we are meant to be one another's keepers and when we do do family together we do do community together it actually avoids getting involved into other stuff but having said that I know people that dating does work for it takes a lot of boundaries and you know it's actually dependent on the person I know for me with my particular background like I can fall in love with someone at hello you know, I, I know me, like, and praise God, God, I haven't said hello to anyone in that way for 10 years. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And so God has like preserved me. I don't know, I don't know what I would do if I had, you know, guys around me that I, I had an attraction for. So God has been so good to me in the last 10 years that I haven't even been tempted, praise God. But... So that is one of the reasons that I wouldn't date either. I don't want to get myself in trouble. You know, I know where I've come from. I know what my tendencies are. And although I walk in holiness now, I don't really want to put myself in that position of temptation. Um, but there are some people who are able to date with boundaries and walk in holiness where there's no physical touch. And actually that dating, you know, um, I guess experience is something that's positive and edifying for one another. But whether you date or whether you court, whatever you're doing, we need clear boundaries. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about um, those boundaries. So for a start, obviously, um, you dress modestly. You know, so it doesn't matter if you're dating someone like we have this tendency that if someone we're attracted to is there, then... Um, you, you tend to dress up to the nines and, you know, wear something really, really sexy for them. Don't, you know, don't, because we don't actually want anyone to stumble in that dating relationship. And actually, to be honest, let them see you without makeup. Like, let them see you. I don't know if that's going to happen, Lord, but anyhow. Like, let them see you without makeup. Let them see you, like, for you. Like, actually, because they're going to wake up with you one day, you know, and they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, this is not even, who's this person? <laughs> you know, like, Rachel and Leah, they married the wrong sister. You're like, oh, my gosh, is this your sister? 
So actually, <laughs> let them see you in, in who you really actually are. Because the longer you put a facade on, the longer you're going to have to actually keep it up. So the quicker you know that they love you for you and not for your, you know, your chest or, or your beautiful eye makeup or, you know, as, as long as, when, once you know that, actually, you can have a more authentic relationship. So let's just be real. Um, Let's dress modestly in front of um, one another and um, definitely don't get physical, you know, definitely, definitely don't get um, touchy-feely and don't flirt. Like, don't flirt with one another. Even if you know that you fancy each other, you obviously do because you're in a relationship, but don't flirt. I'm just going to give you a definition of flirting. Flirting is to behave as though sexually attracted to somebody, but playfully rather than with serious intentions. So to trifle with, to toy with, to tease, to lead on, to make romantic advances. All these things, you don't have the capacity to follow through outside of marriage. We don't have the capacity. If we're going to tease somebody, we don't have the capacity to come up with the goods outside of marriage. So to tease somebody with flirting, and I actually sometimes, uh, praise God again, I love CCF because I very rarely see flirting going on at CCF. And even when I was preparing for these messages, like over the last four months, there's been stuff that I haven't even shared. Because actually at CCF, praise God, we walk in holiness. We walk in such a culture of honor when it comes to, you know, interaction between the sexes. I actually believe that there's a grace for us to get um, friendlier with one another in an honoring environment. But I do believe that we don't flirt. Very rarely have I ever seen flirting taking place in this church. And, you know, when I first came to this church, I did flirt. You know, like, I remember this one particular guy. He doesn't come to this church anymore. Praise Jesus. But, you know, I did flirt with him. And I had to go home and repent. Like, I actually, because I noticed that I did it. You know, it wasn't like I was intentionally, oh, I'm going to flirt with this guy. But I did when I, you know, once I'd done it, I realized that I'd held his gaze too long, you know, and locked his eyes. And, and we actually went to the museum together. And I then realized that actually I shouldn't have gone to the museum with this person. Like I actually should not have gone to the museum with this person. And I actually felt nothing for him, but I had already overstepped the mark of honoring friendship. And so we have to make sure that we're not flirting with each other in our friendships, or we're certainly not flirting with each other when we're actually um, dating one another. Because when you're flirting, the whole idea that you're playful, if you're playfully doing something, it means it's not real. It means you're playing. And we're going to give an account to God for every idle word that we speak and every idle thing that we do that doesn't have a holy root that isn't done in love, we're actually going to have to give an account for. So let's not play. Let's not tease. It doesn't matter how attracted you might be to the person that you're dating. Let's out of love with one another, actually honor one another and refrain from um, flirting with one another. Um, and, you know, they, or I say that flirt like crazy in marriage. You know, when you're married, flirt like crazy. Like, there's a particular couple, they're not here, but at church, like upstairs, when they're making tea, like, when they're mid, they're, they're in their mid, I don't know, maybe early 50s, I'm not sure. But, um, when, she, when the wife is actually on 
the hospitality table. Like she'll be making the tea and then he'll come along. The husband will come along. So he's coming to church later. The husband will come along and he'll be like, hello, Mrs. Sylvester. And she'll be like, hello, Mr. Sylvester. And then she'll be like, well, um, he'll be like, oh, I woke up this morning and I realized she wasn't there. And I'm just like, okay, there's a little bit hot in here. You know, because they're actually flirting in there. And Mike and Karen, they do that as well. You know, like you'll hear them just be like, um, so do you come here often? You know? It's old, but it's still gold. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's just, that's what we want. We want flirting to be something that you actually use in your marriage, um, to keep it alive. And so people might be like, oh, well, okay. Well, if I, if I, you know, in friendships and you're doing community and you really like someone, some people might think, well, if I flirt with them, I will be able to indicate to them that I like them. So if I'm, if I'm not going to flirt with them, how can I make it obvious that I like them? Not through flirting. That's not the right way. You know, you actually just engage in them. And if you are doing friendships and you're doing community, then actually this is an opportunity for you to really get to know them and really kind of get to know their heart and actually observe them as well. Like when you see someone, when you're actually dating someone, they show you like their best form. You know, they pretend, you know, they pretend they pray, you know, they pretend, oh, just come, just come back from worship service, you know, praise the Lord. But they've been at the gym, you know, like, like, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of lying going on, you know, well, let's ship allows you like it because I really want her to like me or I really want him to like me. But actually a friendship allows you to really see that person in, in their real, you know, natural kind of environment. Like check out what they're like with the opposite sex, you know, because if they flirt, then you know that that's not the man for you. You know, and if they're, you know, t- touchy-feely with other people around you, then you know, well, hold on a minute, he's got a divided heart, or she's got a divided heart, or she's not honouring, or, you know, she's not respectable, I don't, oh, okay, thank God that that's been revealed to me, I don't want to be with them then. So, it's like that group setting environment actually helps you to observe a person that you may be attracted to. And then there's other things that, you know, you can just, um, I guess... When it comes to letting someone know that you like them, like, don't get ahead of God, you know, especially with women. Like, I don't think a woman should be the one to let a guy know that she likes him because a man is the pursuer. Like the Bible tells us, he who finds a wife, he who finds a wife, finds a good thing. So we as women, we should not be pursuing. Now I'm not saying that doesn't always, you know, I'm not saying that doesn't happen because sometimes it does happen. You know, even Ruth, you know, Ruth's mother-in-law was just like, you know, go get Boaz, you know, but that's like a very, very rare kind of, you know, thing. In most cases, it's the man that leads. It's the man that instigates. And when as women, we undermine that leadership and we go ahead of them or we manipulate the situation, then anything we manipulate to get, we're going to have to manipulate to keep. And so you don't want to, girls, we don't want to be the pursuer. Let the men be the pursuer. And sometimes with girls, I think um, girls have this thing where they think, oh my gosh, the, you know, I, maybe I need to help him along. Like you don't. You know, you don't actually need to help. You have to have an understanding of how precious and gorgeous you actually are. And if they're worthy of you, they will pursue you. And if they're not worthy of you, then, or if they're not going to pursue you, then just take that as a, well, okay, well, right now, I'm just going to leave it. 
and like take it to the Lord. You know, if it's from God, God will touch that person's heart. God will cause that person to have eyes for you. You don't have to do it. And as for the men, I think that men be leaders, you know, be pursuers. And if you actually like somebody, then in an honoring way, like you can make it known to that person in an edifying way. I think in the kingdom, men are fearful, you know, men are insecure when it comes to the opposite sex. And this is why this community kind of environment is really, really healthy because you relax with the opposite sex and, you know, you get to know them in a way where it's not like, oh my gosh, do I ask her? Do I not ask her? You know, and God will intervene anyway, if it's from the Lord. Um, just one more thing when it comes to, um, uh, friendships in the kingdom, like I've seen some friendships where big groups, where the girls and guys are actually like really kind of tactile with each other, you know, so they, they cross the line. So it's no longer holy. It's no longer, no longer honoring, you know, I see them massaging one another, you know, like, um, uh, kind of, I don't know, like hugging each other in an inappropriate way, flirting. And that's not what we mean by community. You know, we are different to the world. And actually, us as Christians, Christian community, like the, you know, the mixing of sexes in an honoring way, that's going to speak volumes to the world. When they actually realize that, oh my gosh, you can have a friendship with someone and not sleep with them. You know, they're actually going to be ministered by that. So we have to role model what it actually looks like to have pure um, friendships. Right. So going back to dating. So very quickly, there are different ways that you may date. Um, again, you need to have boundaries. So for some people, they may choose to um, have Internet dating. Definitely not my cup of tea. You know, like for me, again, I don't want to get caught up in cyber world. You know, I don't want to get caught up in like um, email and all of that. Like I would prefer face to face because a lot of deception can occur when, you know, on social media, when you don't know the person. And again, it's a place where you're not necessarily being yourself. But I know people that have met online and been led by the Lord to engage excuse me, in internet dating. So it's not for me to knock, but when it comes to dating, you have to know the kind of person that you are. You have to know your convictions and you have to um, but do what the Lord is telling you to do. It's not for us to say this is right or this is wrong. But in my experience, internet dating is not something you do on a whim. You know, it's not something you do just, oh, well, let me try and find myself a boyfriend or a girlfriend because dating and relationships they have to be led by God because if they're not then there's too much room for deception there's too much room for sin there's too much room for you know your sex drive getting awoken and aroused and so this is not something we play with so some people may obviously do internet dating there are even some people that date unbelievers and again for me that's like playing with fire you know, to date an unbeliever is playing with fire, especially in the area of sex. Because I believe that actually walking in sexual purity, in dating, is such a fruitful thing. Like, the reward of it is so rich and so powerful that it can really, really stretch and prepare you for marriage and your life. And if you don't end up getting married, it can really, really... Um, 
like bear much fruit in your life. When you're dating an unbeliever, you can never walk that path together. You know, an unbeliever is never going to be able to understand why sexual purity is so crucial. And so that alone, that reason alone, I would say, don't date unbelievers because you'll never be able to see eye to eye in the area of sexual purity. But again, I have to say, I know people that have dated unbelievers and and it's been okay, but the word actually tells us to not yoke ourselves, you know, unequally. And even in my own experience, you know, when I was a first, first I was a Christian, when I was first a Christian, um, I, I backslid because I, I started going to with an unbeliever and I thought he was so fit. And so when he actually like approached me, in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to turn his heart for the Lord. And, you know, so I thought sleeping with him was obviously part of evangelism. Like it was just, you know, like I must do this. Like clearly that's what I must have been thinking, you know. And obviously I fell flat on my face. And it was at that point that I realized that I'm going to commit my sexuality to you, Jesus. I'm never, ever, ever going to date anyone other than the man I'm going to marry. So it was after this guy that I made that decision. But we can be so fooled by this whole missionary dating rubbish. Like in most cases, you will stumble. In most cases, you are not strong enough. It doesn't matter what you think, you know. Like I remember when the first day that we'd... we'd, um, Met, he said that I, I can see God in your eyes, you know, not for long, you know, like, definitely not for long. Like, it didn't last because the very thing, like, I gave it all up for him, you know, I actually threw away the peace and the thing that he was attracted to in me, that joy and that peace and that hope and that vibrancy, it all got stolen once I started dating him. So the very thing that drew him could never keep him anyway, because I lost it, you know? And so when we end up dating an unbeliever, we are actually risking dying, you know, and that life being sucked out of us. Because when you get involved with somebody who doesn't know God, then sex generally tends to be on the cards. And sexual sin has this capacity to drain you of life. It has this capacity to actually, like, cause you to be so dry and so broken, like, so, you you literally, you rot, you know. Sexual sin will cause you to rot. And so I would highly recommend... Um, Dating an unbeliever is something that you simply just don't get involved in. So when you're dating, I think for a start, you have to talk about the boundaries from the onset. Like it's not something that you can just like, oh, no, we, we won't talk about it. Or let's just see how it goes. Because if you're attracted to somebody, then your, um, your flesh is going to do the talking. Unless... You put some boundaries in place. And as a man and woman of God, you actually lay it down and say, this is what we're prepared to do, or this is what we're not prepared to do. I would say this talk happens very early on. Obviously, maybe not on your first date. You know, maybe on your first date, you don't want to start talking about, well, you know, should we do this or should we do that? It might be a bit full on. But if you're someone who's battling with something, you may need to have that discussion on your first date. If you're someone who's got an addiction to pornography, you have to tell that person early on so that they can decide if they even do want to date you. Because that's a heavyweight battle that somebody has to be aware of before they decide that they're going to date somebody. Or um, I heard of a case once where 
a woman, because she'd had an abortion, she, as a result of that, couldn't have children. So on her first date, she had to tell the person that she really felt she was going to marry. She had to tell him on the first date that this is what happened to me. As a result of it, I cannot have children. They had to have that conversation. So in some cases, you're going to have to have that conversation early on. But it may not be immediately, but it has to be pretty soon, I would say, because otherwise you're leaving too much down to your flesh. And the flesh, once in control, will take you down a road that's difficult to kind of um, uh, pull back on. And um, another thing that you must do is like as soon as you meet or even before you meet someone be praying you know actually be praying don't like just get hit with you know like whoa oh my gosh like actually be praying into it so that you know when they come along you're not just like dazed and confused by wow who is this man you know like actually have have it prepared in your heart like already have convictions already decide that as a woman of God I am not going to do x y and z like, don't wait to meet the guy before you come up with this kind of, you know, um, oh, oh, should I do this? But then he might not like me anymore. You know, like, avoid all of that by already having the boundary clear in your mind. And when you do have that conversation, um, like, for a start, some people have that conversation very early on and they disclose a lot of their history. And you have to prayerfully ask God, how much am I meant to disclose because sometimes to get a false sense of intimacy, you can start, well, then there was John, and then there was James, and then after James, there was, you know, Mark, and then there was, you know, you start telling all this stuff, maybe you don't have to say all that stuff, like, maybe you, with discernment, God will give you wisdom on what to say, because if you are now a new creation in God, there's only certain things that you may have to disclose, but I think sometimes, again, this is why community relationships are so important, because when that doesn't happen, like your first interaction with the opposite sex, and you want to tell them everything, you know, you want them to build you up, you know, you want them to tell me I'm beautiful, tell me I'm beautiful, you know, you feed my desire, whereas if we're doing that for one another in the kingdom because sexual desire is not a bad thing you know because people think that sexual desire is about sex sexual desire isn't about sexual desire it's a desire for intimacy it's a desire to be affirmed it's a desire to be valued and to be loved and to know that despite anything that you may be people that know you love you that's what desire is about. And when we're doing that in community and we're saying, I love everything about you, when we're building one another up, then when you get into a relationship, you're not depending on that one relationship to feed you and that one to build you up because you're already secure. You already know who you are. You already know, you know, I know I'm valuable. I know I'm beautiful. I know that, you know, I'm worthy. I know that I'm to be cherished. So you actually value yourself. You don't put that pressure on your, um, you know, future husband or wife wife to do that for you and so when you sometimes go into dating you you try, you I guess have this false sense of intimacy that oh well now that they're my boyfriend or my girlfriend I must tell them everything but actually that can be damaging because then you know maybe they don't want to hear about your exes Maybe they don't want to hear about, you know, the stuff that you keep telling them. Maybe you pray about what you should be disclosing and what you shouldn't um be disclosing and um I also think this thing is crucial. You have to decide if you're going to kiss or not. And I would say kissing is a no-no. Like, I honestly think that, 
Like the Bible talks about two types of kisses. It talks about a holy kiss, which is a greeting, and it talks about kisses of the mouth. And kisses of the mouth are talked about in Song of Solomon. And we all know what Song of Solomon's about. That's not about friendship, you know? Like that is heavyweight, you know, celebration of sexual love. So according to God's word, kissing is for marriage. It's not for something that you do outside of marriage because the word only talks about it in Song of Solomon. And if you think about it, like without being too graphic, I'm sorry, but that's, you know, when you're using your tongue, there's penetration happening there. That's two becoming one. And that's not something that you want to engage with or engage in with anyone other than your spouse. And even then, um, some people may think, well, okay, I don't think it's that big a deal. Or we only kiss on the lips. We don't use tongues. Okay, fine. But if you carry on kisses on the lips, trust me, tongues will come in. You know, it will. It will because you have to be able to draw the line somewhere. If you're opening yourself up, then there's a, not, there's a chance that that kissing is actually then going to lead to other stuff. And then before you know it, you've gone to the next base and you've gone to the next base. And before you know it, you've, you know, enticed lust or you've enticed sexual desire that becomes uncontrollable. It's not like that for everybody, but for the majority of people, kissing does lead to other stuff. I know couples that during their courting period are struggling or have struggled with guilt, have struggled with con something because they ended up kissing and then it led to other things and something like that has the potential to defile your marriage bed you know something like that the enemy he's just looking for a foothold and he would use kissing as a foothold if he would use it to then you know take lust to a next level so we have to actually close the door on all of that and again if if you're dating someone and you can kiss someone on the mouth or, you know, it doesn't lead anywhere, then that's fine. Like, but for the majority of times, it does lead to different places that you really don't want to go to before you're um, married. And then there's some people that are so deceived. Like I've heard of Christian couples that are dating that have this stupid misconception that as long as you're not actually having intercourse, that everything else is okay. Like they actually think that as long as they technically stay virgins, they are doing okay. But in fact, the enemy doesn't care if it's technically, you know, impurity. He just sees impurity. And so the, the, you know, the thing that we're aiming for here isn't virginity. We're aiming for purity. And purity is every single or impurity is every single thing when it comes to sexual immorality, whether it's lustful thoughts, whether it's kissing, whether it's, you know, doing any other kind of sexual activity all of it is sexual immorality outside of marriage. So my advice to you would be don't even do that. So have that conversation where you say, actually, I'm really sorry, but we're not going to um, kiss either. And be honest about temptation. Like if you're dating someone and they keep wearing this sexy dress, like tell them, 
that every time you wear that sexy dress, like I get turned on. Or when you talk to me like that, or when you call me in that way, I actually get turned on. Like we have to have these conversations. Otherwise, what ends up happening is you do get turned on. And what we need is honest conversation with one another. Again, demystifying this whole thing of sexuality and being able to be honest and say that, you know, when you do that, this is how it makes me feel. And um, talk about why you want to be pure. Because if you are able to talk about why you want to be pure and why purity is so important to you, and you talk about how not walking in purity would make you feel, then you can actually hold each other accountable to that. Because if you don't have that conversation and you just know, oh, we're meant to be pure, you don't, you know, your flesh can take over. But if you really love someone and they say to you, you know what, I don't want to walk in sexual impurity because I hate the separation that it brings between me and God. Or I hate the guilt that I, that I go through afterwards. Or I hate how, you know, you and me, we don't look each other in the eye for the next three days. Like, they're the things I want to avoid. So when you actually talk about the consequences that you're trying to avoid, then you've got a lot more to be accountable to. You begin to break it down. You know, you can be specific and talk about, well, because we, want, because we want to avoid this, that's why we don't want to engage in impurity. So talk about that. I've already said um, don't flirt. And pray before you meet one another and pray with one another about it. Okay? Now, some people don't really invite Jesus into this area of temptation because they think that he doesn't understand The word tells us in Hebrews that Jesus, you know, was um, tempted in every way, every single way. So he knows what it's like to be sexually tempted. And even when I think of, um, you know, when his feet was being, um, you know, like washed and wiped with the hair, that's actually a very sensual act. It's a very, very sensual act. And I'm not saying that Jesus at that point was tempted, but I wouldn't be surprised because it's a sensual act. But he's a man of God. He is God. And so he resisted it. And so somewhere along on his time on actuality, he was faced with sexual temptation. But he stewarded his sexuality and he walked in holiness. So we can go to him because he understands. So invite him into this, you know, temptation, which is very real. You know, sexual temptation is very, very real. But he understands. And pray with one another. But I would avoid praying alone. Again, when you're dating, be careful of being alone. And the thing is, the anointing is very, very attractive. You know, the anointing can make someone look more attractive than they really, really are. <laughs> you know, like, it does. Like, I remember years ago, like, I was at Glory House, like this local church, um, there was this Ghanaian preacher and he was so short, very, very skinny, wearing a white suit, you know, <laughs> and I thought he was fit because he was so anointed, like the anointed, you know, he's going up and down and you know, breaking stuff and I was like, who is this guy, <laughs> you know? Even though, like, he was about half my size, like, this way and that way, and he had this big white suit on, and all, just all of that just went out of the window because the anointing was so strong. And so we have to be very, very careful because the anointing can actually cause you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't do. And it's the same even, 
you know, when you're ministering, even like I think a lot of the reasons that sometimes ministers fall is because you're there and the spiritual high and, you know, you're, you're hitting stuff together and you're getting breakthrough together or you're in the anointing and the worship is just flowing and all of that stuff and your wife's at home. But, you know, but then there's like a, you know, a single sister in the church who's all over you, you know, and then you can sometimes respond to that because the anointing is so attractive. And if you are not covering yourself and if you are not connecting with your spouse or if you are not having accountability or if you're, you know, doing things alone with a person when you should be doing it in a group, you can end up stumbling. So I think when you're dating somebody, I think be very, very careful about what you choose to do with them, even spiritually, how much you choose to pray with them, how kind of physical you get when you two are alone together, even doing spiritual things, because the anointing itself is so attractive. Um, I think um, curfew, not being alone, as I said, like if you're dating, make sure that you've actually got a curfew um, in place and be accountable to somebody. Like I think if you're dating, be accountable to a married couple or, you know, someone, a mentor at church, like actually have accountability where somebody can ask you, okay, so you saw your boyfriend today. You know, you have to have that because otherwise this and this boyfriend and girlfriend can become like a force. You and me against the world, you know, like Bonnie and Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde. They were boy and girl, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, you can have like this force, like it's just us whole sense of, and then when you engage in like intimacy with one another, that sometimes gives you a false sense of unity and a false sense of, um, you know, commitment to one another. And if you're not accountable to somebody, it can end up being your little secret. But actually, you've got to make sure when you're dating, there are people that can ask you those very raw, honest questions and that you have given them permission to speak into your life and where you can actually say, yeah, I stumbled, you know, or no, I didn't stumble. Or will you pray for me? I'm going to go and see my boyfriend today. Will you pray for me that we walk in holiness and honor? So definitely have accountability. And if you are um, dating someone, continue to spend time with God. Because sometimes what happens is, you know, like in Jerry Maguire, like you complete me. So what sometimes ends up happening is you could start dating someone and there's this notion that, oh my gosh, this person's going to complete me. But only Jesus can complete us, you know, and two broken people do not make one whole. Two broken people are still two broken people, you know, and so you can't or we can't assume that this person that we started dating is going to be the bent be all and end all of everything. We need Jesus first and foremost. So you don't replace Jesus with the person that you're dating. In fact, you make sure that you're worshiping Jesus. You make sure that you're constantly, like I said last time, you know, that secret place intimacy where you're worshiping him and you're spending time with him and you're reading the word and you're communing with him. You need that because it's in that environment that purity is cultivated. When you're in touch with Jesus, when you're actually, you know, having this affair with him, you don't want to sin. Like you don't actually want to stumble. It's the greatest, greatest tool to prevent you from sinning because being in his presence and hanging out with him gives you a desire to walk in holiness. So don't give that up when you're dating. Don't think that you can do without that because it's only doing that that will cause you to be a godly boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance or husband or wife. But then the flip side of that is... You being in a secret place 
cannot be this massive bar that no man or no woman is ever able to attain. Because for some women, the secret place becomes like this lofty, lofty, lofty thing that no man on earth can ever make them feel the way Jesus can make them feel. So they reject him. And that's wrong because when you're in the secret place with Jesus, that causes you to love not to reject. That causes you to see others through unconditional love. That causes you to want to share your love with that person. It shouldn't foster superiority. And I'm not saying that your your relationship with Jesus, that has to be the standard. I'm saying that should be the standard. The love that we have with Jesus or the love that he shows us, that's our bar. That's what we want to, you know, um, have between one another that's what trains us on how to love but your secret place relationship with God cannot be something that causes you to reject someone because you think they're not going to be good enough or you think they're never going to be able to make you feel the way Jesus makes you feel so just because they tick the box in every, every other area but maybe in that area they don't tick the box that's not the reason to reject them You actually spend time in the secret place so that your eyes will be open so that you have the capacity to love someone beyond their faults, to love someone beyond their flesh, beyond their humanness and love them the way that Jesus has loved you. So um, we're going to do a bit of a Q&A now. Just before we do the Q&A, I just again really want to stress that... um, if there's stuff that you want prayer for, because this whole, you know, notion, this whole beautiful divine notion of walking in holiness and building community and actually debunking some of the stuff with sexuality, all of that stuff must happen on a foundation of purity and on a foundation of, of freedom, true freedom. So if there's stuff that you're battling with, that's actually going to prevent you from doing life in culture, in in honor with your brothers and sisters, and is going to prevent you from enjoying what God has for you in the area of sexuality, you must get prayer today. So just about this Q&A, feel free to ask any questions that you may have, particularly in this area. Um, I myself, my background, as many of you may be aware, I was in the world and so I was highly promiscuous and now I walk in purity and I haven't dated for 10 years. So if you've got any um, questions around that, then you can ask me. Um, Daniel is... um, a man of God and he's walking in holiness and he he's doing things the flip opposite to me so you could ask him questions and then Tina and Deji when they were courting they walked in purity and so that's the stance you know that they're answering questions from so please feel free to ask any questions that you want Gosha Thank you, Gosh. Thank you. That's nice of you. Yeah. I paid Gosha to say that, obviously. So. Uh, I, think, I think for me, um, I love people in general. And so that's both male and female. Um, and 
I love to get to know people in no matter what. And I know I uh, got to know uh, Gosha's daughter um, for I've known her a couple of years or several years now. Um, and I think for me, it's it's appreciating a person for who they are and appreciating their spirit and where they're at. And usually sometimes people may not be where you're at regarding what they believe or their values, but you value them as a person and as an individual. Um, and I think for me, that's important. That's where my heart lies, because my heart lies with actually um, people and people becoming the best they can and people fulfilling their purpose and their potential in God. And that's my passion, um, I guess, with stuff. And I think for me personally, and I know Bob's just introduced, um, talking about like walking in purity and stuff. Um, for me, I think when I was 15 years old, I wasn't going to church as such, but God put in my heart. I knew I grew up kind of knowing about Jesus, but God put in my heart to um, to start reading the Bible again. And so I kind of started to figure stuff out um, like from reading the Bible. Um, but I didn't want to go to church or anything. I didn't believe in all of that stuff. And so I went, when I went to college and then obviously girls come involved cause I went to all boys school before. So I went to college and I was like, woo, freedom, you know, but, and I said, but I said something in my heart, God had already placed something in my heart to say, well, he hadn't fully placed it. He was prepping me. And I said to myself, okay, Lord, I wouldn't, I won't sleep with a lady unless I'm in love with that lady. So not marriage. I was saying, if I fall in love with a lady, I'll sleep with her. So it's still out of wedlock. And that was, that was when I was 16 or so. And so God was working with me gently and slowly. Um, and then when I was 18, God fully brought me to himself in, in a sense of just introducing me to him. And that was when actually I said, actually, Lord, you know what? I'll, I'll hold this until marriage. Um, and so by doing that, God all of a sudden just gave me a vision of what marriage, what marriage should be. And because of that vision I have, it's like anything. If you're an athlete, if you're a trainer, if you want to win the Olympic gold medal, you're going to train hard and you're going to kind of stick to a regime, a diet, a, a plan, you know, because you have a vision of that goal at the end of it. And I think for me, God gave me a vision and he expanded it. And he was saying, marriage, Dan, Dan marriage is beyond sex. It's not just about sex. It's actually about knowing someone's spirit deeply um, and intertwining with them and you have to imagine yourself, can you live with an individual for 30, 40, 50 years and still enjoy that in individual after 30, 40, 50 years? In fact, it should grow. And so my vision um, expanded. And because my vision expanded, I began the race, so to speak. I began uh, training, allowing God to teach me and allowing God to show me and not to compromise that. And so in a sense, speaking to Anya, so what, that's what I want for everybody. I see people, I see ladies, I see gentlemen. I see, guys, I want their vision of marriage to be expanded compared to what the world offers it and what the world suggests it as. And because that's where I know, because that's, I know God has so much fullness in that for them rather than kind of short, um, kind of compromising and actually only getting a little bit of that. So that's in a nutshell, Gosh. Awesome. Um, off the back of that, can I just ask, so um, what do you then do if you like a girl? How do you then approach her um honorably <laughs> uh, okay um so if i i'm oh, sorry so if i do like a lady <laughs> if i do like a lady um my first thing as and what bobby was actually saying which is brilliant is actually 
I, I do pray about it straight away. And then even if I don't like someone, I'm like, Lord, there ain't no one on the scene at the moment. Please bring someone on the scene that I can like, you know, to uh, potentially approach. So I'm, I'm quite frank and honest with, with God with that. I just say, Lord, you know, so even if I don't like someone, I do like someone. You know, I'm just praying beforehand anyway and saying, Lord, because I want to meet someone. I, I believe in this vision that of marriage. and I want the potential to get to know somebody in that capacity. Um, so I think when it comes to that, I'm always praying. And so, I mean, I think someone, there's not a set way I actually go to. So, I mean, I think someone, it was from a t- through a text once. I mean, obviously, I've had successes and I've had failures. Um, well, I'm not married, so they're all failures, technically. Um, okay. But, you know, what I mean by that, obviously, I've asked, I've asked some ladies and they said no. And that's cool. That's perfectly fine. And I've asked some ladies and they've said yes. Um, but there's not a set formula. So I made one was a text. I've asked people. Um, friends have introduced me. Um, so it's not a set way. It's just knowing what you kind of, that vision, having what you have, uh, want praying trusting god actually that he will provide opportunities as well because i think that's that's a big thing as well about um marriage as well is the opportunities sometimes it's not just this is your spouse i believe sometimes god could have five or ten that are perfectly wonderful godly ladies or godly gentlemen and it's about both of you kind of uh getting to know one another and seeing if you're able to actually um take it further take it to a next level where you can actually grow so just because so if i do get with someone or i do want to meet someone i'm not automatically saying that's marriage because i'm really actually saying i've said to you i always speak to bob actually and bob tends to know if if there is a girl that i do like or not as she just knows somehow Um, (laughs) and then she comes up to me and says dan so what's going on you know (laughs) um so but I tend, I tend to, and I've spoken to this about Bob, I tend to approach it whereas I want to get to know you, I have an interest in you, and I want to get to know you on a, uh, on a deeper, a bit of a deeper level than a basic friendship. Um, and what I mean by that, I'm just kind of, I want to see if there's a match of our spirits, if there's a match of our personalities, if there's a match of our hearts um, in that respect. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, any more questions? Yep. I think the first thing that I did with Deji was um, I, would, I had already been very prayerful about getting married and being ready to get married. Bobby um, said something earlier when she was sharing or teaching um, about, a f- you know, sort of like a friendship, a community of friends, as it were, and, and being able to have opposite sex as friends so I had male friends, and I was comfortable with that. They just, I just didn't even date. They, they were friends of mine, and some of them were quite close. So I guess I knew what was important um, from that relationship. I understood men. I understand the way they think. And it is very different <coughs> to women. <clears throat> and so, in fact, when Deja and I met, I was talking to very close friends of mine that were men. And they were sharing with me the challenges that they had with their female um, friends. And um, Deji just said to me earlier, keep it short. So I just bear that. <laughs> and um, and so, so, um, so I think for me, it was really important. So I've been really prayerful. So I guess, and I would also didn't have fear of men. I just knew that the man that I was going to marry, I had the key 
word in my head and that was he was going to love God and there was going to be and I'm going to hear it in his speech I'm going to hear it in in the way he is I'm going to hear it in his character I'm going to see it in his character I'm going to see a reflection of Jesus and because I had allowed the Holy Spirit to grow me whilst I was waiting I recognize that for me Deji ticked all those boxes I mean everything else came later and the question I didn't ask him a question I just went to my little tick box at home and on that tick box was that he loved God and that he had a real kind compassionate um uh, and he had there were evidence I can see the fruits of his relationship with with Jesus and and I just settled with that Um, awesome. Just on that note, uh, someone proposed a question earlier on um, today, and it was, would you recommend having a list? So, I'm going to throw that out. Deji? The answer to that, in short, is absolutely. Okay? We have to remember that God gives you the desires of your heart. Okay? And you know what? It's virtually impossible on your own to find your lifelong mate. I'll tell you that now, okay? It is very, very difficult because you have to use all kinds... If you're going to do this outside of the Lord, you have to use all kinds of means that are completely worldly, right? And the enemy is there to deceive you completely, okay? So the best way and the way that I'd prescribe for all Christians, okay, is prayer, okay? And for those of you who just don't say to the Lord, send me the right person, make a list okay make a list a godly list all right i made one and i put the top of the list that this woman will have to love you a hundred percent okay i i put stuff on there like she needs to be attractive she need, you know needs to appeal to me because if you're going to go to god with a list be precise and be honest don't just put stuff in there like oh yeah she doesn't need to be attractive but i'm not going to put that down don't be an idiot right because <laughs> because you know what right God will give you what you're asking for, all right? And also, if you put stuff on your list, right, that is precise, when she shows up, you will recognize her, right? If the woman you're looking at is nothing like the woman on the list, well, then that's kind of like a cue. This can't be the one, all right? But honestly, prayerfully, if you're going to make a list, then and you're going to go honestly before God with that list, then stick to it, okay? There's no point making a list and i'm talking about a godly list not some airy fairy list that's not based it's based on the world if you make a godly list and then someone shows up that looks nothing like that and you think oh he's the one or she's the one well if you prayed about it, if you ask god and that person looks nothing like that then you've got to ask yourself what, what what are you doing all right so my advice is i would make a list i did make a list if you're going to do it make it godly list and stick to it believe god for it okay and if you want to I didn't do this, but get someone close to you to, to examine the, the stuff that you've got on there, right? Because honestly, if you've never done it before, you could put some crazy things on there, which actually, um, yeah, right? Now, the other thing I'll say is that um, God comes first, right? And he knows what's best for you, okay? I made a list. Not everything on that list did Tina tick, Right? I'll be honest, she didn't tick everything on there. She ticked like 90-odd percent of it. There are a couple of things. I'm not going to go into what they are, but she didn't. But because I, 
you know, at the time, I had quite a close relationship with the Lord. I trusted him outside of that. And I knew that by chance, maybe one or two of the things on there weren't in the right order of priority, perhaps, right? Because I didn't know. I was quite young. I didn't have a lot of accountability around me as well. So I had to just go pure faith, basically. Pure faith, me and the Holy Spirit, discern, you know, who's sitting in front of you, that kind of thing. But it was, honestly, I'll tell you, because I knew it was a minefield, um, I had to use a lot of faith about it. And I had to listen to what God was saying to my heart as well and challenging me about where I am with him, as well as, um, you know, Deji, you don't know everything. So you're going to have to rely on me. You're going to have to rely on my word. Okay, so that's how I did it. So I would encourage you to make a list, a godly list. And if it's a godly list, you know what has to be number one. Yeah? And the scriptures does say that God will make our thoughts agreeable with his own. You know, so if we are in relationship with the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will, you know, you could almost, the Holy Spirit is our helper. You could almost say, Holy Spirit, help me make a list, you know. And the reason why you do that as well is so that you can be specific in your prayer so that you can actually pray. And don't forget that person um, may come along but not reflect that list fully at that time. But we'll become that person, you know, as your relationship progress, you begin to see. Because don't forget, you're not to lean on your own understanding either. But the key important thing is that they love Jesus. Because if they don't love Jesus, then actually um, you are already, um, you know, sort of in, in, it doesn't mean that they've got to be all there fully matured and or fully ready for marriage. That's just not the case. In fact, I think, I absolutely agree. I don't know if any of you were there when we shared our journey, um, you know, um, when we were courting. Um, and interestingly, I mean, we, I used to go and have my debate with God. And I used to say things like, it can't possibly be him. Because, you know, he's just not hearing me and understanding, duh, duh, duh. But those were areas of my character that were still being shaped and fashioned that... Um, Actually, what happens in when you're in a relationship is much more obvious uh, because now you're, there's somebody there who is exposing that. So I will say that, you know, actually the most important thing is that you make a decision that they are going to be in the Lord and that they have a heart for the Lord and that they're expressing growth. And they're allowing the Holy Spirit and Jesus to be the first and foremost friend. Because honestly, that's, what's going, that's where you're going to rip from and where you are actually married. And you want to make sure that they understand the order as well. The, the order of that, of their, yeah. you know, of their... Um, just to add to that, like ask yourself why you want to get married. You know, because sometimes people just want to get married for romance. But, you know that is not a good enough reason to get married because what do you do when the romance wears thin and really ask, you know, when you're making this list, I mean, you want someone who's got the same heart for you for ministry, you know, someone who's actually going to trailblaze, actually going to go after destiny, you know, where your hearts are intertwined. This isn't just about settling down with somebody, you know, this is a greater purpose that you two are going to achieve together and also consider what kind of person you need to be because you might be on someone else's list 
you know, and so you're there like, mm, well, he's got to be this and he's got to be that. And you're none of the things that he's or she is looking for. So when you're single and you're actually given this amazing opportunity to wait on God before you meet your mate, this is where you check, are my finances in place? Like, what am I like when I'm stewarding my money? What am I like when I'm serving? How do I talk to my parents? Like, How do I deal with my insecurities? What do I do when I get angry? You know, like all these very, very deep issues that are going to show up when you're married, like these things need to be dealt with. So don't see singleness. Don't let it get clouded by your desire to get married. Ask God to prepare you for marriage so that the less baggage you've got going into a marriage, the better your marriage will actually be. Sheila? Good question. So just for the sake of the recording, um, Sheila's just asked if it's good to have marriage preparation. So I'm going to pass it to Tina. I believe you'll answer that. But I'm just going to um, actually say um, that I heard of a couple that actually had, I guess, counselling even when they were dating because they were so intentional about doing it right that they even wanted to have counselling during the dating period before they even decided if they were going to get to that stage where they're going to get married. So I think counselling is such a crucial thing because in the romance period, it can be all floaty and, you know, you can get carried away. So to actually have that, definitely. Yes, absolutely. I mean, without a shadow of doubt, you need, um, you know, marriage preparation because it isn't easy. I don't know why everyone, I mean, I talk to single people and they always seem to think that um, actually if I say to them, what should I pray for? I could answer those questions for them, marriage. And actually, um, you know, we're to seek the kingdom first. And therefore, um, in terms of pre- preparing for marriage, it's about what those marriage, um, God-ordained marriage looks like. And you can't know what you don't know. And you can't have... Um, insight into areas that you've never been into before so you need people who have got the experience who understand some of the challenges that people come across and also who enables you to explore what you're thinking about but you can't put into words Dej and I definitely had marriage counseling we had it um, and it was just probably the best thing that we did because what it did was it set the foundation for us to walk on, to build on, basically, in terms of we were really clear about certain things. Um, And one of them was um, this business about um, children. I mean, if you know our story and the the fact that later on we had um, a challenge in that area, but thank goodness somebody said, just remember that your marriage is your union before the Lord, first and foremost. And children are just a blessing And honestly, did we not remember that conversation with Pastor Abraham? Um, And and actually, um, I just remembered when we then faced that challenge, he was like, it's God and us and children are a blessing. You know, so he just helped us to actually put it in the order of importance in our marriage. Thank you. Um, Yes, Crystal. Okay, I think what you're, you're asking is, um, given, you know, if you're in a church and there's a small pool, pool of people, um, you may need to consider looking elsewhere outside of that. And how do you do that in, in a godly way? Um, I mean, that's that's the million dollar question. I guess, you know, 99% of all single people are, are, are thinking, 
how, you, how are you going to do that? The thing I would say to you is, number one, prayer, okay? Right, I, you know, I've sitting in an office and there are, well, now there's two, three safe people there, okay? And I can hear the girl on the other bank of desks. She does a lot of online dating. And some of the things that I'm hearing, I mean, you talked about deception. There was one guy who had an online profile and he used the picture of his friend, right? And this girl was talking to this guy for like, I think it was three or four weeks, hadn't met the guy at all, right? And then she found out that the picture that he had in his profile was actually his friend. I mean, I just thought to myself, how on earth? I mean, it's, that's the world, right? So if you're going to go for online dating and all this business about online profiles, you can guess, you know, what you're going to experience. So the thing about it is pray, be prayerful. I remember when I said to the Lord, okay, I believe I'm ready for marriage, okay? Um, the church I was going to was a Methodist church. I think it was in Chelsea, tiny. There was no way my wife was going to be there. <laughs> right i'll be honest yeah i'll be honest right i didn't there, was, there wasn't a big christian community around me right so i was like how's this going to work but you know what the holy spirit was like well what are you prepared for are you prepared to see your potential wife anywhere Absolutely. right street sainsbury's tesco's at uni wherever it is right as a man right you have to be ready to hear from the spirit of god right and you have to be honest, okay? Um, you have to look for the signs. You know them by their fruit. And if you've got a list, that's why a list helps, you see, because, you know, you can start to see some of the things you put on that list. Is that person like that? Then if they're not, you got, you know, you got, you got to put that to the side. But it is a risk, right? It is a risk. For, for a guy, it's a risk. If you're in, not in a church like this one, for example, the church that you described where it's really small, really tight, and you, hadn't, you don't have a lot of support around you, you really have to rely on God and you have to be extremely prayerful. Okay. And the first thing that I would say around about being prayerful is that get your life sorted. Okay. Because what will happen is that if you're not sorted, you will attract, okay. Or fall into the pitfalls of people who are very similar to the issues that you've got. It just happens that way. It's almost like the devil will like bring that person that's just in the same situation as you, if you're not right. Get yourself right before the Lord, because the Lord will question whether you are ready to go out there and to look for a, a mate, right, if you are not sorted before him, okay? With me, it was a case of, I said, Lord, I don't even know if I'm ready for marriage, but I'll tell you, Lord, I said, I guarantee that whatever you need to do with me on the way, okay, I will yield and I will, I will be supple enough to, to take heed of it and, and change. And within six weeks, I met Tina. So that just shows you, it was, I believe it was my positioning. I said, Lord, you know, I'm ready for change and I'm ready to get married. Do what you need to do. And the Lord answered that prayer. Okay. But he really shielded me from a lot of mess ups. Okay. In that time, I didn't meet any other woman. Basically, I didn't see any other woman. Okay. One time I saw Tina. The next time we met, the courting started pretty much. That's, that's how it was. So the Lord really shielded me. And I believe the Lord will shield you if you're faced with that kind of situation. But you have to be prayerful and your heart has to be right before the Lord, okay, in that position of readiness. That's, and that's what I would say because it is really tough, all right? Um, but we have the Holy Spirit. I just add that actually um, God is the one in control of your life. And, you know, he orders our steps, 
and, and I have to echo what Deji says. Deji and I, we met, and it was at an African Caribbean. No, it wasn't. It was a day you were wearing your... No, okay, it wasn't really wearing... <laughs> it wasn't really wearing a white suit. But he might as well be wearing a white suit. Okay. <laughs> so, so um, but, you know, the thing was that um, you, could, you could meet your potential spouse anywhere and and that's the most important thing and 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 as Bobby was alluding to you just need to know that actually you can meet somebody in the physical and actually they could still be deceiving you is the is the relationship that's going to really get you to know get you to know what they're really about and so the relationship starts from some it starts at some point and whether it starts from online or whether it starts from Sainsbury's by saying hello how are you or on the bus or in the tube or whatever and then what how would you know you know um that there may be potentially somebody there would just be a connection I mean maybe for me it was the fact that Deji loves Jesus but also his dancing was really pretty cool and so and so and so yes I'm just saying you know there's there's just little you know it could be anywhere really just to add to that Crystal it's basically everything Tina says I agree uh, with totally on that Um, but I had a friend recently um, who was like Dan I've dated uh, I've dated three girls in the last no six girls in the last three years. Well, no, I've dated two of them. I've liked four, uh, six girls. I've dated two of them. And he said to me, um, he said to me, oh, I'm fed up of this. I like a girl who's not a Christian at the moment in my work. And I was like, hey, man, dude, you've got to be careful with that stuff because that ain't the right way to walk down if you start get, um, yoking yourself with someone who isn't a believer. Um, and then there's so many things you end up compromising on. And he was like, but I've not met anybody in the church, man. And it was like... It was like um, he was basically saying, "I'm not any med- God, if God provides you with a church to go to, isn't He going to provide you with a wife in that church?" Um, and I was like, "Hang on!" I was like, "I just texted him back, and I was like, dude, what is the church?'" And then he texted me back and said, "The body of Christ." And I was like, "Oh!" He was like, "Yeah," and in a sense, he was just looking within his yeah within his church, and it's about also being open to sometimes visit another church. Now, I know a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to go visit a church just to look at a girl or just to look at a guy. Um, it's not, there's nothing wrong with that as long as your heart is still with the Lord and you're following him and you have your place of worship that you are seeking the Lord in and growing in yourself. There's nothing wrong with going out. It's like if you're, you know, you're going to buy some chicken from a market. If you can't find him, find what you want in you get So that's what you do. You're going to go visit another place. If you can't find what you want in Tesco, you go Sainsbury's. They're all under the umbrella of supermarket. So you've got you to gotta be, and I say that to be practical. Yes. I say that to be practical. Sometimes yes. we're not practical enough. Yeah. And we live in a time now where we're so kind of, we're not so much socially integrated as we used to be. There's less community. I'm talking about in the world as well. You know, these days, the way the world has community is in a club. You know, it's, it's yeah, and on the internet, we're less social, you know. Um, so... It's about being practical, step out into different places. And it doesn't have to just be a church. It's, that's why I love, because um, Deji's uh, told me how he met Tina several times. And that's why I love that testimony, because they met in the club. Now, they probably weren't intending, he probably wasn't intending to go out to a club to find his wife. 
it just happened that way. But his, uh, his eye was open and his heart was open just to see and to allow God to do something there. And I think that's what he always says to me as well, Dan. Make sure your eyes are open to see someone. It was a the situation or scenario it may be. Uh, uh, correction that uh, it was a private party club. Great. So I'm just going to quickly say something. I don't want to be super spiritual, but it's like be content with where you're at. And I'm not, you know, I, I know for. It is an issue. You know, there aren't that many guys at church and there are loads of women that really are desperate to get married. I totally, totally get that. But God is in control, you know, and he's a redeemer of time, you know. And even if sometimes you think, but my biological clock is ticking away and all of that stuff. God is a redeemer of time. And I believe that you must be praying. You must be breaking off any curses over your life. You must be breaking a spirit of delay over your life so that, you know, it's not a spiritual thing. That's not the reason that, you know, you're not with somebody. You have to break that stuff covered broken that stuff you must be confident that God has got you covered I think for men it's slightly different because he who finds a wife finds a good thing so the men I understand you will go high and low to look for a wife you've been told to look for a wife but women haven't been told to look for their husbands you know women can actually be content and just trust in the Lord it will happen so I just want to you know reassure you that God hasn't forgotten about you just delight yourself in him and he will give you the desires of your heart abby okay i'm coming from um the point of view of um like everything i've heard you're talking about mature christians yeah christians who know the lord who are walking with the lord who know how to ask and hear from the lord what do you talk about you know what do you say to christians who are not at that place who've come to the lord Yeah. Okay, so when it's someone like that, you know, hey, I've met someone, love him, he loves me, and they're not, you know, have you heard from the Lord? No, but, you know, I love him. So what do you say to someone like that? Can I just answer that? Um, So, like, in my situation, when I came from the world, like, I was definitely in no fit state to enter into any kind of relationship. I would not have been any good for anybody. I only understood about lust. I did not understand about love. And I think that God honors process. And this is where church is so crucial because the first thing is you need to get plugged into a church where you're going to get discipled. You know, and even this whole idea, like God revealed to me last year, like I didn't even understand about my femininity, like because I'd come from such a promiscuous background, I needed so much deliverance that for most of my Christian life, I felt as if my femininity and my womanliness was actually residue of my past. And so I tried to repress it and I tried to hide it because I was like, oh, well, I don't want to flaunt myself and I don't want to do all of that. But over the last like 18 months, I'm really sorry to say this, but I just felt so sexy. Like, I actually felt so sexy. It had nothing to do with any kind of... It had nothing to do with a man, nothing to do with anything external. It was an inner, 
delight of being all woman. And so I took that to the Lord because I'm like, God, what is this? And he literally spoke into my heart and he was like, Bobby, for the last 10 years, you have been sold out for me. You've given me your heart. You haven't looked at a guy. You've been in love with me. If you are still sexy, I think it's here to stay. You know, it was a case of your womanliness It's not your residue from your past. Your womanliness is actually very much part of who you are. And I know the word sexy has like, you know, negative connotations. So please don't think I'm talking about flaunting myself in a sensual way. It's just being fully woman. But if God had revealed that to me before, I would have flaunted it. Even as a Christian, even as I'm being discipled, even as, you know, I'm attending church. If God had let me into that secret three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, I wouldn't have been able to steward my femininity. So on the basis of boundaries, on the basis of holiness, of being discipled first, of being able to steward my sexuality in an honoring way where I bless and I don't flaunt my femininity, it was only then that God revealed my womanliness to me. And so to answer your question, Abby, I believe that when people come into the church and they're come from a background that is, um, you know, it does involve sexual immorality. We as churches have to disciple them, receive them with love. We have to build them up so that there's no condemnation. And step by step, they will rewire their desires so that they begin to want the real thing and they begin to shun that which is poisonous and that which is less than what God has ordained for them. If you get involved in relationships too early, like I know a young lady who got involved, um, you know, she became a Christian and she never accepted a time of celibacy. Never. She, she battled with it. So she came out of quite a, a sexual background. And as a Christian being discipled, she always had a boyfriend, always. And even those periods where I believe God wanted her to um, refrain, wanted her to, you know, walk in, in um, just singleness with the Lord, that never happened. She recently got married. She ended up having sex with her husband before the wedding. Because she never got delivered from what she was walking in before. So there has to be a place where deliverance takes place first before relationship begins to happen. And as churches, I think we have to be nurturing, but actually quite firm to say that it's better if you have a time of singleness before you even step into a place of marriage, because it's dangerous to step into marriage when you, well, in fact, it's the most destructing thing to step into the marriage when you're still carrying sexual sin in your life. So process is what I would say. I think um, just, just to add to all that Bobby has said, I do think this is why, you know, we bless the Lord for these four sessions. I mean, I don't know how, you know, just if everyone, everyone here has been to all the four sessions, but this is why this is so important. And as I sat there and I was listening to you, Bobby, I would just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for teaching that allows us to sit openly and, and, and listen to 
um, Bobby's graphics, you know, explanation that makes you kind of cringe if you've got a religious spirit. But actually, you know, those are the kind of things, if you're not mature in the law, you still need to hear and understand that there is a way that is of the Lord and there is a way that is of the world. So somehow discipleship is where that comes from. Somebody who has a level of more, a level of understanding greater than your own. And you talked earlier about mentorship as well. So again, it's about finding somebody in the church, whether a young dating couple, whether you haven't dated, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's useful to find somebody in the, in the church or somebody that you can trust who loves you first, you know, because actually, I don't believe you've got any right to bring correction to anyone's life if you don't love that person. Because what you will be releasing is condemnation. So you make sure that they love you and they're not just judging you and they're not just saying it because actually every time they see you, they have to say something. Um, but actually, because if you really love somebody, then God is going to use you to begin to disciple the, you know, the younger Christians to yourself. And that's where they can come and ask you those questions. They can, there's freedom to actually share um, what's in your heart um, with somebody else because you know you can trust them. And they will give you a honest answer because they love you. Yep. Yep. Um, just uh, just going to recap the question. So Eric wants to know, why do married couples stop hanging out with singles? Yeah. Why, does, why is there a separation? Yeah, cool. Um, the, the first reason is, obviously, you've waited all this time to get married, okay, and you are just into your wife or you're into your husband, right? Number one, okay? Secondly, marriage, okay, you have to learn this, okay? And the best people that newlyweds are going to learn from is other married couples. That's natural. Right, you're going to look up to people who've been married for a while, okay? Um, and not to detract from singleness, but what tends to happen is that you need to have people with experience who can speak into your marriage, okay? Single people are not yet in that place where they're able to do that. They will speak from their experience as singles into a married relationship, which is then you can have all kinds of problems, particularly if some of these single people are still learning certain things or getting certain things dealt with, with the Lord. Okay. I've seen it quite a lot. You know, it can take just one word to speak into, you know, a marriage that can cause problems and imbalance. Okay. So you have to be really, really careful about that. But I take the point, Eric, married couples need to be able to minister to singles to encourage them and say, this is what it can be like when you get married, you know, but this is how we did it. And it seemed to work that there is a place for that. But also, it's really important if you have just got married, okay, to surround yourself with people whose marriages are strong, who are going the way that the Bible says, okay, because you need that basis. You need those experienced people to be able to speak into your marriage to help you. Because I tell you what, it can be like a war. The enemy can come from all different directions, okay? And the Spirit of God is really good, but you need to use wisdom and surround yourself by people who can really help you. I think absolutely. I, but I, I actually um, have friends who are married and not married. So my younger friends are not married, um, but a lot of my friends are married. And I think it's about seasons as well. 
that you know you all just marry together and you you know start having children together and those are your friends but then you have friends outside of your previous network that aren't quite married yet so i think in some ways it, i think it's just a social setting up thing i don't think it's difficult um yes i will echo deji's answer as well Thank you, Tina. And I just quickly just want to add um, to that as well. This is why it's important that you marry someone who's like got the same heart as you, because like I love um, with Eric and Sarah, like they leave me these messages, um, both of them, like on WhatsApp, like record this thing where it's just quite funny and they like you know like oh so Bobby we're just and then they do impressions and you know they bounce off of each other and all of that stuff because both of them have invested together into another person's life and I think sometimes this goes back to that community stuff again you know like really building together in groups so then when you get married you don't have a separation of friends you know you've got all these community friends that you 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 knew before you got married anyway so you just carry on doing it so I actually think you can do both and I think someone like Eric and Sarah they you know change the culture just change the culture. That's what we're going to do here. If there's stuff that's godly and we're not doing it, let's do it. And let's actually flip the script is what I would say. Um, next. The question is, is it a case that um, lo the Lord has a specific person for an individual? Or is it a case whereby a single, you can kind of date because the person is a born again, it's a Christian, and just see how it goes, hoping that this person you're sharing the same path and this is what God has for you. So is there a specific person or is there like just go with the flowing end of dating too many people in the church? And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to um, pass that to Daniel, but first I'm going to answer it myself. Um, like I actually think that, like when I was growing up, my parents wanted me to have an arranged marriage and um, I thought I was going to have an arranged marriage, like being Asian. And then I left home and then I went wild and went crazy. And for me, the biggest thing on my head was, oh my gosh, I need to have an arranged marriage. And I always thought I could live this double life and I could be with guys and I could, you know, uh, get engaged to someone and want to really marry them. But actually I'm going to have to come home one day and I'm going to have an arranged marriage. It was hanging over me for many years. Um, and then I became a Christian and then I started doing things God's way. And I hated the idea of an arranged marriage, but now to come full circle and to know that God's going to arrange my marriage, like that blows my mind. I want to have an arranged marriage in God. I want my mum to actually pick a husband for me. So I actually believe that when you give God that privilege, when you say, God, you choose a spouse for me, I believe he delights in that. But I don't believe that's the only way. I believe that you can also, like God will bless, you know, bless the relationship that you're in. Like uh, Dan was saying that, you know, you could have like three or four or nine or 10 or whatever potentials. And then you just go with the flow. I believe sometimes we box things and we're just like, oh, well, that's not the one. Like, is she the one, you know, is she doing this or is he doing that? But actually sometimes God will be like, you know what, step out and I'll honor it. Providing you two can work together and you two can honor each other, I'll bless whatever you do. So I actually think it can work either way, but that God actually delights in being given the honor of, of finding your spouse for you. Uh, yeah, in answer to that, I believe exactly the same as Bobby. Um, I believe in both. Um, and I've heard testimonies 
of both and I've actually taken positions in recent years and well not recent years in the last decade on both sides I used to be like okay the law will provide someone it's going to be specific um and then gradually with what God was doing with me um I felt him start to, to teach me that then it's okay to actually um it's okay actually to pick a godly lady. There might be several. It's not necessarily going to be specific. Some people, I do work that way. I do give them a specific, you know, I, I hook them up together. But just because I've hooked those two up doesn't mean I can't hook you up with someone, with one of my potential daughters, you know, and that doesn't mean I can't hook one of my daughters up with one of my potential um, sons, you know. And I think... I think what God is, what God's taught me and what God's in the process of doing is bringing us to a place of maturity where we can make godly decisions. So we know to say yay or nay to this individual, not because they're bad or so, but because perhaps that person's going to go to Africa on a mission that God wants them and God's called you to LA. You know, it's, it could be, you have, (laughs) you could have, you could have, (laughs) you could have different pathways. So obviously you're able to make a godly decision that maybe this will not be in the best interest. Maybe this won't uh, be conducive to a good marriage or someone, as Bobby was saying, may have just come to the Lord and they are dealing with a lot of um, uh, past relationships and maybe you've been in the law for a while and it's not actually right. That person still needs to have some time with the law before you do that. So I'm of that. I'm of both minds. And I'd, I've heard stories where the Lord, I've had, I know friends where the Lord has actually put the two together. You know, that he's anointed. He said, yo, uh, Joe, I'm just using names. Joe, uh, Leslie is your wife. Leslie, Joe is your husband. You guys need to get married. It's even who I'm calling you guys to do something. And I've heard of situations from prophets even who have been trying to figure out, get a message, trying to get a download. Who is my Lord? I'm a prophet. I should know who my husband is, you know, my wife is. And they're not hearing anything, you know, because God has brought them to a place where I have, I have loads of daughters here and you choose because I trust you to choose correctly and I will bless what you choose because you are able to, because I brought you to a place where I'm going to help you to choose wisely. Um, so I believe in both. I mean, I think that's a, that's a fantastic way of looking at it. Okay. One thing that I will say is God is not the author of confusion. Okay. Cause I mean, you need to speak, if you're going to speak to that side of it, you just speak to the other side of it as well. Cause some people can be confused and say, well, which way do I go? Which way is that? Right. So the thing with that is that God, it depends on you, okay? It depends on whether or not you're somebody who is 100% sure that if that person, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose this person, if God presents that to somebody that's close or is what you consider to be correct and you know what you want, you're going to go for them, okay? Or you're prepared to, you know, have a, a list of options which you can choose from. Because God, the one thing God doesn't want is for him to, this woman, one to you, right? And then you go marry them and it doesn't go the way you think. You say, God, you brought me this woman. Why, why did you bring me this woman? Look what happened, right? Honestly, it's your choice. Okay, it absolutely is your choice. So you have to say to the Lord, well, okay, what you're prepared for. Even if you don't physically vocalize it, show me in your heart. Because I'm the sort of person that's, Lord, you show me, and that's the one, right? And that's exactly how it happened. But if I was a different ilk, 
which was, you know, give me some options and then I'll make a God decision about which one. I'm sure God would do that that way. So I really think that it depends on the individual because yeah. some people need a lot of options to be sure, you know, which is which and so on and so forth. Okay, others, like this, the prophet guy you're talking about, he's, he's, I'm from that school. It needs to be, Lord, show me, I'll go, you know, and give me confirmation. Also, I also believe that because the Holy Spirit's so good, sometimes you can be drawn to a certain individual, okay, who ticks many of the boxes, say, and actually, with all honesty, the Holy Spirit saying, actually, no. All right? And I, and, I, and I wouldn't be giving you a good, you know, description if I wasn't saying be prepared for that also. Because a lot of times someone can seem right and actually they're displaying everything that is right. But what they're doing is they're painting the best picture of themselves and not necessarily in all honesty, okay, about themselves. And the Holy Spirit can actually say, that's not the person, all right? And you need to be prepared for that as well. He can do that personally, but he can also do that with help from people around you as well, all right? So, so I, I would just say that um, just referring back to what Deji said about <coughs> they may tick all the boxes and they may still not be the right person. So they may be expressing the fruit. They may even look like, they are definitely the person and mature enough and all the rest of it. But it does not mean that person is your spouse. So, and the scripture that, was come, that always, I always um, use regularly is committing your way to the Lord and he will direct your path. So is that committing? Is that saying, I commit this to you? It's so important, isn't it? You know, a lot of what we're saying here now is that we're just kind of leaning on our own understanding to a degree. We're making, you know, because a lot of it is just, let's go back to the word. And he says, commit, right? And he will direct your part. And it's not an altar of confusion. And there are the practical things that, um, you know, Daniel was talking about. But it goes back to his relationship with God because the Holy Spirit is right there, you know, helping you. It is our helper in the decisions that we make. And one of it is that it could only help us if we say, I'm committing this to you, Lord, because we're not to lean on our own understanding. So they may tick all those boxes, but they might be ticking all that boxes for somebody else, not you necessarily. Yep. So we're going to close here now. Um, so I'm just going to close in prayer. It's probably about nine o'clock at night. So <laughs> I'm just going to close. Um, Father, we just thank you so much because you're so good. And yeah, once again, like your brilliance. It's just the way that you do community, the way that you do life, the way that your plans and purposes for us here on earth are quite exquisite. They are so wonderful and so praiseworthy. And the more they get revealed to us, the more delightful life becomes. So we just thank you for Zoe life, that abundant life. And we just declare the fullness of that over our sexuality, over our relationships as brother and sister in the Lord, over our marriages, over courting, over dating with purpose. We just yield it all our real you. And may the way we navigate through our sexuality and through our relationships, may they radiate you and bring you the up, most glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.